So let's pray together. Father, we just come to you, and we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we need your word. We need wisdom. We need knowledge and understanding so that we can successfully walk through this life pleasing you and experiencing the peace of God on our life. Now, Lord, as we share the word out of 1 Peter 3, I pray the word will go deep into the soil of our soul like a precious, incorruptible seed, and that it will come forth, that it will produce the fruit of the Spirit, that it will grow up into a beautiful fruit tree for God, that we will look more like Jesus, think more like Jesus, walk more like Jesus. Now, church, breathe a prayer and just say, Lord, I receive the word and graft it into my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, submit. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh. All right, uh, if you've been going through First Peter with us, then you know that uh, we're doing about a half a chapter a week, and we'll finish First uh, Peter in 10 weeks, and then Second Peter in six weeks. It's going to be a great series, already is a great series. I'm loving it. I'm really enjoying getting into the Word and studying it so that I can teach it. And um, now, I want to deal with something that I, that I touched on last time that caused a, a little bit of misunderstanding, and it had to do with submission to authority. This topic is so touchy. It is. When you talk about submission, it opens up a lot of cans of worms. Because, and we really do need clarity on it. So let me clarify. Now, I'm talking about, in particular, about submitting to uh, authorities like law enforcement or like government. And I, and I dealt with last time with how Jesus responded to adversity and how Peter and the apostles responded to adversity uh, from authorities. Now, when the Bible says we're to submit to authority, it is not saying that we can't redress wrongs or seek reform. That is not what it's saying. Now, here's what we need to understand. Peter and the apostles lived in a totalitarian society where Caesar's word was law. Uh, we've, got to, we've got to keep in mind that they did not live in a democratic system where some other leader could be voted in if they didn't like the one that was there. Whoever your Caesar was is the Caesar you got. There wasn't anything you could do about it. There was no... Every four years, you voted in another Caesar. Most Caesars were taken out by being killed, assassinated. And they didn't live in a culture where there was a First Amendment guarantee to free speech. See, we're in a, a culture uh, that makes us think the rest of the world is that way, and that in history it was that way. But do you know how unique America really is? That almost every culture before America was filled with slavery, murder, oppression, misery, uh, famine. You were not free to come and go. You were not free to say what you wanted. That when the framers put together the Constitution of the United States, it gave to us a form of government that was unique in the history of the world. Do you know there's never been another nation like America? Do, Do you? If you don't, let me tell you, there never has been. So you decided tonight, well, I'm going to go to church. 
Well, in, in first century Rome, you may not have been able to go to church at all. That's why they had house churches. Because persecution was so bad, they just had to huddle together in each other's homes and have clandestine meetings. They were not free. So when Peter exhorts the church to live in submission to authority and to take ill treatment with patience, the only other choice they had was to rebel and die or face imprisonment. That's the only choice they had. Well, we can rebel, but if we rebel, we're probably going to die. Or we'll surely be hauled off to prison, tortured, whatever. So we Americans live under a system of government that does allow us to seek reform and to address wrongs perpetrated by authority figures. Like if a law enforcement individual treats somebody wrongly, that can be redressed, that can be addressed, that can be spoken to in our system of government, all right? Now here's my point, and I believe the point of the Word of God. It is how we address them that matters most. We can do it right by moving through the legal system, voting new people into office who share our concerns, or seeking some other peaceful, lawful way to do it. Now, or we can do it wrong through riots, property damage, threats, insurrection, other unlawful means, physical harm to others. These methods, when you do it that way, it moves you out of the bounds of God's will into Satan's territory because it takes you out of lawfulness to lawlessness. Now follow me. God will never lead you and I to be lawless unless the law is requiring us to do something that goes directly against God's will. Like if they passed a law tonight that said, I could no longer teach the Bible. Do you think that I'm just going to say, well, I submit? No. I'm going to say, you know what? I must obey God rather than men. So if I had to find you somewhere and in, in, in some alleyway to teach the word of God, I would set up a meeting in the alleyway and teach the word of God. I'm not going to stop teaching the Word of God if man tells me to. That's, that's an example of, of the unless what they tell you to do is against God's will. Then you've got to say, I can't obey that law. All right? Uh, if a law was passed, and it, like, for instance, in China, it is law that they can only have so many children. If a law was passed here that said, my wife... Um, who's pregnant, had to abort because now it's the law she can't have that child, then we would have to say we must obey God rather than men. And I will not submit to that law. That's how Moses survived. Pharaoh issued an edict and said, I want every male child killed that comes out of the womb. But the midwives refused to obey that command. And so when Moses was born, they hid him. And look what God preserved, you see? Because they were essentially saying, we must obey our God and our faith and our conscience rather than Pharaoh. Listen to what Paul says about lawlessness. Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness. Now, I could pull out tons of New Testament verses that mention lawlessness. 
So the bottom line is, in America, we can do something about wrongs perpetrated by authority figures. It may take some time. It may take patience. But it can be redressed. It can be addressed. It can be dealt with. But we're never to resort to lawlessness to bring about lawfulness. Are you with me? I hope that helps at least a little bit to clear up the submission to authority issue. Because I'm not saying, you know, if authority figures wrong you, then just, you know, sit and take it when you know they're doing wrong when they wrong you. You can address it in America, thank God. You may not be able to in China or Russia or, Lord, there's not much left of Venezuela. But any socialist, communist country, you can't do that. So thank God, even as imperfect as she is, thank God for America. Seriously, because we have freedom, folks. Freedom. Now, since you are loving the topic of submission, I'm going to continue. And because Peter continues in chapter 3 with the subject of submission at home. Now, I'm going to give you five seconds to get up and leave, and then I'm going to go into it. Because we're going to deal with submission at home. Look what he says, and now he's really about to meddle with our stuff. Now, you wives, listen, don't worry. He's tackling you first, but the men are coming next. So if he nudges you, you're about to be able to nudge back in just a few minutes. But he first addresses wives. Wives, likewise, be submissive. I said likewise. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now that right there, oh boy, I would have so much fun preaching that in the nearest college. Because this passage runs totally against the entire attitude and belief system of today's culture. In particular, the feminist movement. I mean, there's places I could go and and quote that verse and they would stone me to death. They would kill me. They would kill me. I mean, there's some churches I could go and quote that verse, and they would kill me, right? But we're a word church here, so we're going to go into the word. Now, I want us to stop and ask a question after I've read this verse. First of all, do you see this, that verse in your Bible? You do see it there. Say, I see it. It's real. Say it to me, you're not making this up. Now, let's ask this question. Is the Bible the inspired word of God? Is it? Is it fully God's word to mankind? If so, then God must know what is best for the wife and the home. Because here's what I know about God. He only acts out of love on our behalf. Because God is love. And he that loves is born of God and knows God. Because God is love. So he, everything he does toward you and me is out of love. With our well-being in mind. We can accept that, right? All right. So... Here's the very first objection typically raised regarding submission. When you read this verse, it's already gone off in some of y'all's heads tonight. But what if they're not worthy of respect? I want you wives looking up at me and not at your man. I don't want any fights after church. Now, look at this. Here's, Here's what goes through the head. How can I submit to a man that hasn't earned it, who may be even utterly unworthy of honor, He may be a total jerk, a sloth, a loser. 
He may not even walk with God or know God. A non-Christian. How in the world am I supposed to submit to that, Pastor Jeff? Give me a break. Hey, I didn't write it. Peter wrote it. And Peter was moved by the Holy Ghost when he wrote it. Now listen to me. It can be done. Or God would never say do it. And I believe I understand the key, a huge key to submission. And here's what it is. It's in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Paul writes, whatever you do, including submission to your man, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Let me just change that. Whatever you do, even submission to your man, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to your man. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve when you're submitting to your man or to another authority figure, your boss, whatever the, whoever the authority figure is, when you're submitting, you are serving the Lord Christ. Now, that's the key to submission. I'm telling you, that's the key to submission. If, I, if not for that verse, the idea of submitting to some people would drive me stark raving mad. But when I look at it this way, and you've got to look at it this way, if you have a harsh boss, if you have a harsh authority figure over you, if you have a difficult authority figure over you, if you have an authority figure over you who is anything but worthy of respect, you can submit if you do it as unto the Lord and not unto them. Because what did he say? Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do in life, whatever it is, do it how? Say it with me. Heartily. In other words, woohoo! I get to submit. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right? Now, now heartily. 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 So that's dealing with attitude. First, he deals with, hey, you just need to, you need to submit. But then he gives you the attitude to submit with heartily as to the Lord, not to your man. Because the Lord's going to reward you. So the key is as unto the Lord and not to men or to a man. Could you submit to the Lord were he here? Could you? If Jesus was in the sanctuary and said, Hey, run to, the, run to McDonald's and grab me a Big Mac. Could you, could you submit happily? I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you be willing to crawl there on glass to do anything for Jesus? Right? We, we would do anything to submit to Jesus. All right? Okay. Didn't Jesus say, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, look at how he sees it, you've done it to me. Now, isn't this a key to submission? Come on. This is the key to submission. All submission should be as to the Lord, not as to men. For it's the Lord who will reward you. Now, I hasten to add, and I I always feel I need to put this in here, because I've pastored a long time, 35 years. I've seen the good and the bad and the ugly. I've seen the underbelly of the church, and I've seen what happens in some marriages and, and so I think there is an exception here. I, it is not talking about a wife who is being physically abused or whose life is in danger. You, you don't, if, if somebody is 
beating you. Amen. You don't say, well, I'm going to submit to that as I would to the Lord. Well, you can't because he wouldn't do that to you. Amen. Amen. I, I believe that there is an exception here. I don't believe Jesus would ask a woman to stay in a situation where her life is in danger. That doesn't glorify the Lord. Amen. So I got to throw that in there. I got to, because a couple of times in my ministry, not very often at all, a couple of times, I've had to intervene where there was real bad physical violence and I had to help a woman be removed and put into a shelter. And I did it heartily and happily. Yes. Protected her. Okay? But for, for the most part, for the vast majority of marriages, this is not what he's talking about. But I want to add that exception. Peter's words here are about an attitude of trust in God while you practice submission. Even regarding a husband who is far away from God. Matter of fact, Peter says there is power in submission to reach that man. Three, chapter 3, verse 1, the second half of the verse. Even if some do not obey the word, that without a word they may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now notice, she's not preaching at him. Because what's the word? He said, without a word. Because this woman has realized my preaching isn't doing anything leaving tracks everywhere under the pillow and on the couch and on the chair and in his lazy boy. It's not doing anything. Me talking and trying to reach him verbally isn't doing anything. Matter of fact, it's making things worse. Even chick tracks don't work sometimes. Now, so Peter says the weapon that works is the double-edged sword of chaste conduct, which means a pure life coupled with the fear of God. Now, this man's watching, and he knows, listen, every man who is being a jerk knows he's being a jerk. Amen. They know it. They know they're being harsh. They know they're being unreasonable when they are. They know they're being hard on you when they are. They know. They know. It's not news to them. Sometimes every once in a while you get one that's thick as a brick, but otherwise they know. All right? And so when they see the woman, trusting God and having a submissive attitude and just saying, you know what? I'm going to walk with Jesus with a pure heart and I'm going to walk in the fear of the Lord and I'm going to trust him in this situation. And that gives her a tranquil, a tranquil, peaceful spirit. And that man, Peter says, starts noticing. I'm just quoting the word of God to you. That they may be. He didn't say they will for sure. But he said they may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they are walking with a pure walk with God in the fear of the Lord, he's seeing it. He's watching it. He's around it all the time. And you know what is happening? Not every time, no guarantee, but a lot of the time he's starting to get convicted. Okay? Okay? For the unsaved husband, the best advertisement for the truth and wonder of Christianity is a wife who daily models the Christ life. According to Peter, that's how to get a new husband. They say, well, Jeff, I've tried it for two weeks and I hadn't done anything. <laughs> I know, I hear you. 
You may be trying it for a few years. I'm just telling you. There's no guarantee. There's no timer put on this. Peter is just giving us some insight in how to reach a man whose heart is hard against God. And it may work. All right. So wives, trust God. Now, he's going to meddle even more with you ladies before we're done. Because now he's going to talk about how women dress. Ooh, I'll tell you. You know, I'm just going through the Bible here. I didn't choose these verses. But look what he says in verse 3 and 4. He says, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel, shopping at needless markup. I mean, Neiman Marcus. <laughs> Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart of the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, these passages have been taken way out of context. There's entire denominations that have taken these verses and they have demanded that their women dress plain, drab, in non-flattering clothes, wear no makeup, don't get your hair done, just love God. Now, I mean, I was at a conference one time, and they seated us, and I had no control over where I was seated. And I was seated at a table with a whole row of these women from that denomination across from me, staring at me. And I was alone. And I'm sitting there. Oh, yeah, it's drab. Their hair hasn't been done. There's no makeup. And I'm going to tell you, I never looked at a meaner pack of women <laughs> in my life. I began to look around like, who's near me in case they jump me? <laughs> they looked miserable. Because you know why? They weren't having any fun in life. You know why? Because God made women to look pretty. I actually had a, I actually had a good friend of mine, a good friend of mine who, who was a pastor. He said, my job is to make the money. My wife's job is to stay pretty. Now, uh, I know I'm going where angels fear to tread. Let me continue. Now, the word merely, the word merely sets every woman in here free from those kinds of restrictions because he says, not merely outward. So that means, sure, pay attention to the outward, but not just the outward. So merely sets you ladies free. I want to read a lady here say, thank God for merely. Because merely changes all. Don't let your adornment be merely outward. So not just your appearance, but even more so your inner man. A gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in God's sight. Now, I'm not going to talk. I'm not here to, tonight to talk about modesty in dress and all of that. That's that's not where I want to go. Just suffice it to say, I believe the more you walk in the spirit, you will understand modesty. I think there is nothing more attractive than a woman who dresses classy but not trashy. Amen. All right, I'm going to leave it there. Amen. Now he says. He says, the, main, the most important adornment in a woman is a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, that's from the Greek words put together that mean divinely inspired inner calmness. That's what it means, divinely inspired 
inner calmness. This woman has peace with God, and her worries and cares have been cast upon the Lord. She's at peace. When she walks into the room, peace comes with her and tranquility. She, she, her, her burdens are upon the Lord. She is submitting, trusting God with her situation. Peter is saying, clothes and jewelry can be bought, but divinely inspired inner calmness and tranquility are priceless. So that when the man comes home or when the man's with his woman, they're together, the kids are there, what what they sense in, in mom or in wife or in girlfriend, whatever, is this inner calm, this peace with God. Not that... Ladies, you don't get uptight sometimes or fret sometimes. I'm not saying that at all. You're not superhuman. But, but as on the whole, there is a trust in God that has brought peace in this woman's life. And so Peter calls it an adornment. He calls it a type of inner clothing. She has clothed herself in this. He uses the holy women of old in the Old Testament for an example. Verse 5, he just alludes to it. Verse 6, he names Sarah. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. Adorned themselves with what? That divinely inspired inner calmness. Being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, verse 6, calling him Lord. Whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now catch this. This is a huge insight. He says to the women, he says, look, you've got a legacy from Sarah. And the legacy is submission and trusting God in that submission. And that's what not afraid with any terror means. It means you're trusting God. So even though you're submitted to somebody who who may not be walking with God, may be a, a troubled individual, may not be everything you wished or wanted or hoped for, but you're trusting God, so any fear of submitting to that person is gone. Amen. Amen. You're not full of terror. That's, that's, that's what Sarah passed down to women of faith. Now, in verse 5, he speaks generally without naming anybody, but in verse 6, it's Sarah he homes in on. So watch this now. While Abraham left all believers a legacy of salvation by faith, Sarah left believing women a legacy of success by submission. I'm just telling you what's been passed down spiritually. I got from Abraham, when I put my faith in Christ, I was saved. Not by any works, but I was saved by faith. Because Abraham was declared saved and righteous by faith when he offered up Isaac. So what he bequeathed, to all believers evermore, and why he's called the father of our faith, is salvation by faith alone. But what Sarah left to every woman of God is success by submission. And it wasn't always easy. If you think Abraham was perfect, you need to read your Bible. This guy messed up big time, several times. She followed him when he unwisely sought safety from famine in Egypt. She went down into Egypt with him, knowing it wasn't the place they should go. She held her peace when he lied and said, she's my sister. 
So if you want her, don't beat me up to get her. Hey, she's not my wife. She's my sister. And because he said that, Pharaoh took her into his castle. Now here's Sarah, not afraid with any terror. You know what she was saying? God, he's your man. Abraham, my husband, is your man. He told a white lie. You know he lied. I know he lied. He's your man. So what does God do? He plagued the entire house of Pharaoh with sickness and death till Pharaoh said, what's up here? What's going on? And then, and then God told him in a dream, you have taken a prophet's wife. And he said, I hadn't touched her. I hadn't touched her. And he got rid of her like a hot potato. Okay. And, and, and then here comes Pharaoh talking to Abraham, the man of God. Why'd you lie to me? Well, I didn't really lie. I kind of lied. I just said she was my, she, my sister. She's my half sister. So I kind of gave a half lie. And, and he's convicted right in front of a totally pagan king. It was a bad moment for the father of our faith. Now, he says, whose daughters you are, Christian ladies, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Sarah had no fear in her submission, for she trusted God. Let me ask you, ladies, did God undertake for her? Come on. Raise your hand if you know he did. Of course he did. She submitted and she trusted God not terrorized or terrified, and, and God plagued Pharaoh's house. And God took care of her. Now, that's what she gave to you ladies, all right? Submission without fear, success by submission. Now, next Peter turns to the men. Every lady in here say, all right. It's time, time to talk to the men. Now he turns to the husbands. And he says, husbands, likewise, Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, Peter exhorts husbands to be understanding. He says, I want you to live with them with, with knowledge, and it means understanding. Well, understanding of what? Knowledge of what? Giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Now, the word vessel points directly to her body. So Peter is simply stating that the husband is to be gentle and kind and considerate of her weaker frame. It has nothing to do with less intelligent, gifted, capable, talented, or less value than That is not submission. Submission is totally misunderstood. If you think submission means that the one who is having to do the submitting has less value than the one you're submitting to, you don't understand submission. It has nothing to do with less value or less anything. It has to do with a weaker frame. That's it. Now, the feminists among us can go all day long about women being equal to men. But I'm going to tell you the harsh truth physically It's not true. I'll arm wrestle any of you here tonight. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It's not true. I mean, it's just not true. Now, every once in a while, it may be true. There may be some woman who has worked out and she can whoop her man. That may be true. But you know what I'm saying. Genetically, 
On the whole, men are, are stronger. And that's all he's saying. By nature, men are stronger. And so they are exhorted not to lord that over the woman. But be understanding. I'm going to give you an example from Abraham. When the three angels visited his tent, Abraham told Sarah. He said, man, we got some heavenly visitors. He said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. Well, that sounds like he's bossing her around, doesn't it? Hey, lady, jump, because we got some visitors. Jump! But I want you to look at what he did then. Look what he did in cooperation with his woman. Verse 7, And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man. He hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Abraham did the heavy lifting. He got the calf. He prepared the calf. And are you ready? He set the table. Now, some of you men are going, thanks a lot, Pastor Jeff. I really appreciate this (laughs) because my wife has a photographic memory. And I'm just reading, I'm just showing you, I'm showing you that though Abraham said, hey, I need your help with this and this, he went then and did the heavy lifting. And he cooperated with his wife, and he treated her with honor. To top it off, his name for Sarah was Princess. For that's the meaning of her name. Now, you got a guy who does all the heavy lifting. He walks with God, and he calls you Princess. Is that hard to submit to? You ought to all have a pet name for your wife. I'm just telling you. I'm not trying to get you in trouble, but think of something. If you can't think of anything, princess will do. Ah, I knew I was going to have fun tonight. Now, Peter gives the man a little bit of incentive. He says that your prayers be not hindered. Ooh. So in picking up things around the house or doing difficult manual labor, that's when the man is to practice chivalry and be considerate of her limitations and step up to help because your heirs together are the grace of life. And if you don't do that, it could hinder your prayers. The word hindered here is from a Greek word used to describe hindering somebody by breaking up the road they're traveling on. It's used to describe somebody being detained unnecessarily. Or Paul uses this word to explain to the Romans why he had not yet visited them. He said, Satan has hindered me. That's the same Greek word. He has hindered me. So Peter is describing what happens in a home where the husband doesn't treat his wife biblically with understanding, with the knowledge she's weaker. And let's face it. Her emotions are more delicate. Come on, they are. They're more delicate. She's more sensitive. You know, us guys, we just run roughshod over everything. The woman is sensitive. She she feels things more intensely. She picks up on your emotions. She picks up on what people are thinking and feeling. She she takes things more, more personally. And... He's to, he's to treat her with understanding. 
Okay, I understand that. I understand that. Boy, it took me years to get that. I mean, I was dumb and dumber. El Stupido. <laughs> I mean, I just didn't get it. I, I just, I was me. I was the leader. And I, I'm a real leader type. I am. And I'm always forging forward. And I expected her to be right there with me, not complaining, not worrying. One time, when I had gotten a call to go to East Texas to pastor our first church, Kathy was great with child, Julia. And we were driving to East Texas. And now, I'm being honest here, she doesn't mind. Uh, here's the deal. Um, we're, driving, we're driving to East Texas, and, and she is having major anxiety that the town we're going to has no mall. <laughs> Come on, ladies. The woman liked to shop. Don't you ladies look holy at me. And, and that, it had, that it had no mall and that it had no big restaurants. It had a Dairy Queen. And that was it. Where do you want to eat tonight? Dairy Queen. So I'm trying to talk to her. And I said, you know, Kathy, I just believe, I believe, here I am the leader. I believe God's leading us to this little East Texas town. That's where we're going. And she's crying, but they don't have a mall. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm sorry. I know, I know you like, I, I think it'll be, okay. but I didn't do that. I said, hey, we're in God's work. Crucify the flesh. Well, she demanded that I stop the car. Now, we're in the middle of nowhere. And all there is on either side is pastures and cows grazing. That's it. We're in the middle of nowhere. She gets out. She's eight and a half months pregnant, and she's just walking. And I'm following along next to her. Kathy, how far are you going to walk? You're going to have to get back in. And then it hit me. Jeff, you did this. You did this because you weren't sensitive to her emotions. You're being totally male. And you're not listening to her heart. So I said, Kathy, I'm sorry. Please get back in. She says, no. <laughs> and I said, Kathy, you're going to have to get in. We're miles away. Finally, she gets in. And I said, I'm sorry. I understand. Because it is a culture shock for you. See, a guy, a guy can just live anywhere, sleep on anything, you know, right? Come on, man. But a woman, she's got to have that posturepedic. She's got to have those satin sheets. She's got to have that comfort. I'm just saying there's men and there's women. And men, the sooner you realize that, the better, because Peter says it can hinder your prayers. If I'm going to take the time to pray, I want it answered. Amen. 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 Next, Peter turns from marital relations to church relations. We're away from marriage. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> he says in verse 8, finally, <laughs> finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Now notice the adjectives, be of one mind, compassionate, loving, tenderhearted, courteous. These are relational words, and they are to typify how Christians treat one another. They are the glue that keeps a fellowship together and the oil that keeps the church running smoothly. 
being of one mind, unified, being compassionate, loving as, as if they're your real brother or sister, being tenderhearted, which means forgiving and sensitive, and be courteous. Just be courteous. Have some manners. Now then Peter broached the subject of offenses and how to respond to them. And here we're coming to the close of the chapter. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now there's three laws in that verse, and here they are. The first law is retaliation. The law of retaliation is when you live by the law of evil for evil. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That was what the Old Testament described, what Moses gave to the people for Old Testament times, and it's called the law of retaliation. But the New Testament changed all that. Peter says, don't live by the law of retaliation. Don't take vengeance. Paul came along and said, beloved, don't avenge yourselves. Rather, give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Now, here's the idea. God sees it when you're wronged. He sees it when you're wronged. So he says, you you can either say, well, well, I'm taking vengeance. It's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. They're going to get theirs, and they're going to get it from me. You step in, and you take vengeance. Well, here's God, and God steps away. He says, okay. You made your choice. It's your deal. Go for it, guy or gal. Go. But if you say, you really wronged me, you really hurt me, but I trust my God, I give what happened to God, I forgive you, and when you do that and you step out of the way, God steps in. Amen. It says give place to wrath. In other words, get out the way. Okay? Just like we saw with Sarah. God took care of her. God stepped into her situation because she stepped out. This is not saying that you should not respond to a terrible accusation. It's not saying you shouldn't stand up for yourself in court when a major wrong has been perpetrated against you because we have a court system. It is saying to avoid being a vindictive, vengeful, spiteful, live-by-the-law-of-retaliation individual. We're to learn to leave the wrongs against us in the hands of God. Okay? Then comes the second law, law of realization. How can I let go of somebody that wrongs me? That doesn't seem right. How can I do it? He says, knowing. That's the law of realization. Knowing that you were called to this. What was I called to? Called to bless those who curse you. Called to live like Jesus did. How did Jesus live? Peter told us in the last chapter, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. So he didn't live by the law of retaliation. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, I love this last part, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Is that not what Sarah did? She trusted herself to him who judges justly. And you got to give it time. You can't say, well, two days ago they did it, and I've given it to God. He hadn't done anything, so I'm stepping in. It may take God years. And, And besides, you have no idea what's going on behind closed doors of the people that you have given to God. So there's the law of retaliation, the law of realization, knowing, 
knowing. And then there's the law of remuneration that you may inherit a blessing. This is the remuneration for trusting God. This is the payback. This is the reward. What kind of blessing? Peter says it in verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days. How many of you want to love life? Come on. And how many of you want to see good days? All right, he tells us how. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He's looking at you right now. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the blessing Peter speaks of when we don't retaliate, when we do trust God, the remuneration, the reward is... Life is sweeter. We love life. We see good days. And he says, your prayers are answered. To enjoy these blessings, we got to first be sanctified in our conversation. He said, don't say anything evil and don't say anything false. Don't lie. And don't say evil things. He said, if you want to enjoy your life and see good days and have your prayers answered, then, then don't say evil things. And, and don't be deceitful. And second, you've got to be sanctified in your character. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Always remembering that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. So here's the deal. I have noticed this. I got saved when I was 16. I had an incredible experience with the Holy Spirit when I was 18. And I've had some real deep valleys. I've had some real high mountaintops. For the most part, I'm a real steady eddy. I, I walk very, my daily routine is so predictable. And I walk with God. I'm in a pace. There is a pace to my race. And, and I, I get up and I read the word and I pray before I eat. I, it's just my little way of making myself do it. No Bible, no breakfast. That's my little thing. And I walk with God. But I'm going to tell you, I've noticed that if I walk with God and please him and do those things that I know are in his will for me, then life is sweeter. I do enjoy life. And I do see better days. Not that I don't have trials. I I have big trials sometimes. Big trials. But on the whole, I enjoy good days. I enjoy my life. If you were to say, are you happy? I'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm basically happy. You say, do you have joy? I do have joy. I have more joy. The closer I get to Jesus, the more joy I have. But I have problems. I deal with issues. I deal with conflicts. I deal with all kinds. But, for the, but still, I enjoy life. Now, I look at our culture that has rejected God. Walked away, thrown the Bible out, mocks Christians now. And any old way to heaven will do. And they've done away with Jesus officially as a culture. And and do I see joy? Do I see them enjoying life? No, I see a nation of angry people. Bitter people. uh, Even violent people. Miserable people. Because it's true. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And when you walk with him, 
He said, I came that you might have life abundantly. All right? Well, the only way you're going to get abundant life is don't say evil things. Walk with him. Don't do evil things. Uh, you know, go to church, fellowship, seek God every day. Amen. Abide in the vine. And you will experience abundant life. You will. Amen. So can we stand together tonight? Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. So you guys, you're going to go out of here and say, let's go, princess. Let's go, princess. Baby. Honey. Honey bunch. How many of you guys have a pet name for your wife? Tell the truth. Let me see. How many of you need one? I'm going to pray for an anointing on you right now. <laughs> I mean, darling, sweet thing, whatever you want to say, just think of one. Because Abraham said, hey, princess, let's, let's make a meal for these three angels. She said, oh. Now, she called him Lord. That would go over so big. <laughs> I hear somebody saying, Pastor, close this out in prayer and let's go home. All right, let's do it. Lift your hands to the Lord tonight. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you for your blessing. We praise you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for teaching us about the power of submission. What Sarah left for the women of faith what Abraham left for the men of faith. Lord, we thank you for teaching us how to respond to authority. Lord, we thank you for a free nation where we can say what we want to say, go where we want to go. Thank you, Lord, for salvation in Jesus Christ. 